Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one, Henry the Engineer, written by Grey Wolfen. Boss, can I talk to you for a moment? Henry the Human Engineer seemed worried. A worried engineer was never good, and a worried human engineer was usually the sign something very bad was about to happen. Captain Urok had learned that long ago. Is there a problem with the ship, Henry? Henry had only been on the ship for a year, and Urok still considered him a fresh shipper, despite his skill. The captain had seen no signs of problems, but humans seemed to have ways of knowing before anyone else. Nothing with the ship, sir. Um, uh, more of the crew, or I guess with me, really, Henry sighed. Everyone on board seemed to act like I'm either an unstable fusion warhead, ready to blow at any second, or that I'm some sort of two-headed freak. No offense to the Bulak. I mean, he's supposed to have two heads, isn't he? Anyways, it seems like it might be better for everyone if I just ducked out to the next landing. Running his hand through his hair, he paused for a moment. I figure telling you now would give you time to post for a new engineer. I'll miss this rice bucket, though, Henry said, reaching up to gently tap the supporting bulkhead above his head. To answer the easy part first, yes, Bullock's race does have two heads normally. As far as the other, we won't be docking for a few weeks. Come by my main cabin after your ship. I think we need to talk about this, um, feeding that you're having. Two hours later, in the small cabin, Urok dropped his captain's job and began the much more difficult and all-too-often job of counselor, and more important, friend, Urok sat in the chair with a small table set up and offered his most recent engineer a drink as he came in. Let's talk. You're a human, and yes, that makes things odd for the rest of the crew. I've worked with two other humans before, but most of the crew has not. Your breed is still rare in this part of the vacuum. You only know your type through legends and stories, mostly greatly exaggerated. I know, I know, they look at me like I'm some sort of, um... Of monster, death Walder, who will eat them up in their sleep. I just get tired of it. Henry slumped down in his chair and quaffed part of the drink, enjoying the warmth of the scotch. Oruk's squirrels rattled slightly, his face equivalent to a laugh. My dear Henry, it's not fear, it's awe. Your humans are most charming and terrifying quality, as yet you do not realize how truly exceptional you are. Why do you exercise in the cargo area instead of the recreational area? While everyone was staring at me after I broke that one machine, I still owe you for that too. It was easier just to run in the cargo area, and I can get up a bit of speed, work up a sweat. Hope you don't mind that I'm used to some of the empty cargo crates' as weights. I didn't want to take all the weights from the rec room. You're an engineer, but you don't see the issue, do you? You bent your weight bar on the machine, the one designed to hold up twice the maximum that anyone else here can lift. You bent it on accident. Then there is the running. You do realize the crew has taken bets on when you will drop from exhaustion or be killed with your insane weight routine. Huh? What exhaustion? I just do enough to keep me from getting out of shape. I'm no powerlifter. I mean, I don't even break 50 kilos on most things. 
Rock called the cloth again. Yes, your easy workout is more than most of the crew could do with maximum effort. Do you remember when those useless slime-brained loaders on Zoltan almost killed Krellin? Sure, the idiots were using the wrong tie-downs, and when they dropped it out of the lift, the whole bastard fell. Because of the strap snapped, damn things nearly crushed her. He told the crew boss a new one after that. I don't think they will make that same mistake, at least not with you. Henry lifted a glass in salute. I did uh, express my displeasure. However, the fact that Krillin was not killed is because you were able to shove the load away from her. Her species is one of the frailer. That load would have crushed her instantly. You reacted before anyone else even knew that there was a problem, shoved it up to the side and holding it in place long enough for her to get clear. You instinctively knew which way to push it to keep anyone from being hurt when it fell. On top of that, when the strap snapped, it slashed your arm. Iraq gestured to the scar across Henry's forearm. That would have been put most people out for a month. You were back in hours, and most of that was waiting in the med clinic. Well, the glue stuff had worked great. It didn't hurt as much as the stitches, and it itched less as well. Henry shrugged. It wasn't that deep of a cut, and it didn't hurt anything vital. Just another hazard of working in a loading area. Urok sighed. You still don't get it. You save a crew member by blocking almost a ton of freight before anyone else can even react. You get a wound that would cripple most people, possibly for life, and you're back after some medical glue. Henry stared. Am I really that much stronger? I mean, back home, I was always one of the geeks, not the jocks. That's why I'm an engineer, after all. Death world geek. In other words, far above anyone from a sane planet that isn't trying to kill you every single day. It's not just your physical strength, though. There are races stronger or faster. When those slaver pirates hit us in Chelian, tending to be with the Hexa Trade House, you knew it was a setup and warned us. How did you know? I don't know exactly. Lots of little things, I guess. The accent was wrong. They came from the wrong direction. The scan was far too strong for a simple locator. And they moved in the ship and how inefficient they were with cargo handling. There were lots of little things that just didn't add up right to me. Henry shrugged and swirled his drink, thinking back on the attack. Uronk gestured at him with his mug. Deathworlder. Nobody else saw that. Nobody else has the evolutionary background to pick up all those things. Those tiny cues to danger. Because no one else comes from a planet where the damn herbivores can and will kill you. But that's not the only reason the rest of the crew is unnerved by you. You ended up smashing through their airlock with a hammer and then finding the pirate's bridge and breaking in, telling the commander, and I quote, Give up now or I will rip your spine out of your rear and feed it to you. Okay, maybe I could have been a bit more diplomatic. The engineer did look a bit embarrassed by that part of the story. Oh no, that's not the important part. Everyone is used to insane humans doing insane things like using a handhold tool to bash through reinforced bulkheads in three or four blows, or giving dire threats. What unnerved them was what happened after, when you found the trilling cubs. Confusion crossed the human's face. I played with them? What's so scary about that? Urak couldn't help but laugh. Yes, you went from a raging death world barbarian to, ah, come here, little ones, cooing and comforting them almost instantly. That was deeply unnerving for most of them, beyond the fact that they had never seen a human to be a nurturing before, seeing an enraged and angry human suddenly allow tiny furballs with teeth and claws to climb and nestle on his clothing. Well, let's say that that shattered some preconceived notions. 
Uh, was anyone mad that I called them cute little kittens of fluff and teeth? I really don't want to find out I accidentally started a war or something because I insulted the wrong creature. But they really do look like kittens when they're that small. No, no one was mad. Well, other than the pirates when the local law showed up. I do think some of our new crew were worried that you were about to eat the cubs, though. What? I would never. I mean, there you are. Uh, no, just no. A look of shock and horror crossed Henry's face. Five minutes before finding them, I believe you had just smashed the Yoli's helmet, thrown him out three of Quick's cohorts while screaming, I'm gonna rip your arms off and beat you to death with them. Henry winced. Did I really say that? I kind of got caught up in the excitement. Adrenaline kicked in and, well, you know, heat of the moment and that's such. Iraq's quills instinctively raised. No. I don't know, thank the makers. I hope never to experience your, uh, adrenaline. It seems quite horrifying to me. But we do have it all on tape. And I found out later they used the threat of having you return to encourage a complete confession from the entire crew. Urok turned to his viewscreen towards Henry. Let me show you some numbers since you have been aboard. Our food and life support requirements have gone up by 35% and 18%, respectively. Our fuel costs have gone up 9%, however, our speed has gone up 13%, and our time in dock for repair and resupply has dropped by almost 35%. I'm a businessman, Henry. Food and fuel are cheap. Time is very expensive. Since you have been aboard, we've made an extra 8-12% to on each trip, and cut down to travel time even more. In result, we are making on average almost 15% more trip, not to mention the rewards for the pirate capture. That's why I want you to stay, Henry. Besides, our little craft is due for some upgrades. What sort of upgrades? A new cargo hold. I think we are pushing what we can hold right now, and the Gravonics are up against the safe workload most of the times. The captain shook his quills again. No... Actually, we might dump some of the cargo pods. We are going into a new trade route. The reward, along with the trade in our engines and power plant, means that at the moment, four Pulsar 33 drives and a new triple force fusion plant are waiting to be installed. How would you like to be the one of the first human engineers to work on a Dilatch tech and the head engineer of a fastest ship in 20 sectors? We are going to be one of five ships hauling perishables. Henry's eyes bulged at the news. Holy crap! Four pulse on top of the line triple that would Wow Wow Boss do you know how fast you can go with those things not even coming close to red line that was uh, what six 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 and a half times fast No way No no way I'm jumping ship now I wanna see what I can do with those things End of story Story number two you are on the first manned mission to the surface of Mars. One of your numerous objectives is to find and recover Opportunity, the lost rover. Upon finding it, however, a memorial and a message is etched into the stone next to it. To the one who gave me company, rest well, old friend. Written by Prairilus Platypus. Mission Log, Sol 45. We've located Opportunity. There was a pause as Commander Jackson DeCroix checked his positioning. We're showing at approximately three kilometers off the last known position. Signal is weak, but we're showing it within the small outcropping of rocks. We'll attempt visual confirmation. Jackson glanced at his co-pilot, Commander Dara Ross. Any ideas on what would have pushed it this far off the last known location? Dara shrugged. 
Perhaps the tracker has been dislodged. Hard to say. It isn't the first thing that has been out of place since we've been here. The others felt different. Opportunity is too big, Jackson replied. Well, we don't know until we know. Let's just see if we can get our eyes on it. They crept towards the rocky outcropping, which seemed to be out of place even as this alien landscape. Nothing but gravel around here. Doesn't make any sense. Dara pulled up her helmet, waiting for Jackson to go ahead and then pushed the door to the rover open. A brief gust of wind blew up, spraying them with a light coating of red dust. Dara began to slow trudge towards the rocks, the doors of the rover automatically sliding shut behind them. Log 45. Approaching the rocks, large, uniform, almost looks like they had been subjugated to tooting of some sort. He continued onwards, and they slowly circled one of the rocks they stopped. There appears to be an opening. Cave, not volcanic, shouldn't be here, Jackson said, his heart rate steadily rising. Small entrance expanding to a larger chamber. Here breath hitched. Opportunities in here, in the center. What the hell? It couldn't have made it through the entrance. Opportunity is too large. You're saying that the cave formed around it? Jackson replied, still gawking at the dust-covered rover. Or is there another entrance? This still doesn't explain how it got in here. You're going to tell me that the storm kicked up just enough to deposit it neatly inside? Jackson asked. We don't know until we know. Dara began to walk towards Opportunity. It's, as you said, this isn't the first odd thing that we've seen. We're past odd now, Dara. We're going into unexplained. There's always an unexplained, Jackson. Maybe just one we don't like. Dara replied as she knelt down. There's something here. Her gloved hand pad back and forth across the surface of the long, flat rock beside Opportunity. What do you have? An inscription, Dara replied with shock in her voice. Say again. There is an inscription. It reads, The one who gave me company. Rest well, old friend. Jackson stumbled forward, coming up beside Dara, his eyes widening. What is it? A grave, replied the gravelly voice. Who is this? Is that you, Dawkins? We're on a clear com here, Jackson growled. A light appeared in the back of the cave, illuminating a small metallic structure. There was a lettering on the side, though the paint had flanked away, making it illegible. In the door to the structure stood a figure. It took a step forward, its movement jerky and cumbersome. I am XJ. Jackson simply stared at Dora and took in the initiative. XJ, what are you? Who are you? What are you doing here? The figure was silent for a moment. I'm sorry, I'm just growing accustomed to human speech. XJ took another step forward, emerging into the light. Its body was clad in shifting sheets of metal with two green glowing dots for eyes. I learned much from my friend. We spoke. Its eyes settled on opportunity, a common language. Who are you? Dara repeated, taking a hesitant step back. I am the last of many. It turned to look at them with a metal structure behind. But I carry the seeds to start again. What are you doing here? Turn back. Waiting... For what? Dara asked. You. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. 
But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.